The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Back to the Exxon, everyone. I'd like to welcome our affiliates who are joining us now at this time here on the Talk Star Radio Network. Welcome, everyone. My guest this hour is Ron Francell. When 18-year-old Becky Burridge and her 11-year-old sister Amy drove to the grocery store in quiet Casper, Wyoming, they never could have predicted what would happen next. After Becky's car got a flat tire on their trip home, the sisters accepted a ride from two strangers that would lead to abduction, rape, and murder, and end in a horrific tragedy that would haunt their own town forever. Ron Francel's, uh, Francel was with the girls, was the girls' neighbors at the time. His account of the events that rocked Casper, Wyoming that day in 1973 is going to grip you, Exxon Nation, and is also going to leave you shocked at the brutality of the girls' abductors. He is a journalist who works regularly whose works regularly appear in the Washington Post, Chicago Sun-Times, San Francisco Chronicle, Denver Post, San Jose Mercury News, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and he is the author of The Darkest Night, 
Our special guest this hour is Ron Francel. And Ron, how are you tonight? Hey, it's great to be here tonight. Nice talking with you, Ron. Uh, when you were writing this story, uh, what was it like for you going back in time and knowing these kids as, as a neighbor would? Well, of course, you, you, as you pointed out, we were friends in our childhood. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a childhood that in, in a remote place, in a small town, uh, we never saw this coming. And uh, the, the, the haunt of that uh, was with me still. You know, I, I, I don't think I thought much about this over the years. I, there were times when, it, when, when Amy and Becky would float through my mind, but uh, I, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it. Uh, I, 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 but on those moments when they did, uh, I, I was... Uh, it made me a little melancholy. I mean, I, I thought about them, and I thought about what we'd missed. And, and of course, uh, this the tragedy of this is, is two-pronged, and you have the, the horror of what happened in 1973 and then what happens 19 years later as a sort of uh, dark echo of that. Working on the story myself, uh, not only... Uh, refreshed my memory of the things I did remember. Um, it it shone new light on things that I hadn't remembered or that I'd misremembered. And I think one of the one of the interesting things about all of this is that uh, nobody had it right. I mean, um, everybody had their own little view of how this crime had happened, and and maybe in the aftermath what had happened but uh it was a soda straw view of things so my i i I became very uh, aware very quickly that that i was in charge of uh, 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 putting this all together in one sweeping story from beginning to end and and as the book points out it hasn't ended All right, uh, Ron, why don't you take us back to 1973 when we come back from this commercial break? All right. Ron Francel's our very special guest. www.ronfrancel.com is his website. We're talking about his book, The Fall. 1-877-528-8255 is toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. My name is Rob McConnell, and um, we'll be back on the other side. I'm sorry, the name of his book is The Darkest Night. I'll be back on the other side as we continue live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon TV, and on shortwave from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Take a step back in time and discover old Florida cuisine at Marsh Landing Restaurant in Felsmere. Enjoy delicacies such as frog legs, gator tail, catfish, and swamp cabbage, or enjoy the more traditional cuisine like hand-cut Angus steaks, ribs, and seafood. Join us for breakfast with a southern flair featuring sweet potato pancakes, biscuits and gravy, and much more. 
Planning a party? Marsh Landing's private dining room can accommodate groups from 8 to 80 people. While you're visiting, enjoy the historic pictures, artifacts, and stories that line the walls. Marsh Landing is truly a unique experience. Marsh Landing Restaurant, 44 North Broadway in historic Felsmere, or visit marshlandingrestaurant.com. Marsh Landing, old Florida cuisine at its best. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Are you interested in the paranormal, ghosts, UFOs, or psychic phenomenon? Join me, Tim Bartley, co-host of Talking to Spirits with Lightworkers Tim and Justina, coming mid-January 2017 to the XZBN. We will channel spirits live and talk to them, revealing all kinds of amazing information. Spiritual attachments will be found and removed on the show, and so much more. To find out when you can listen to Talking to Spirits with Lightworkers Tim and Justina, visit www.xzbn.net for listeners on both sides of the veil. Ron Francel is our special guest. He is the author of The Darkest Night, uh, published by St. Martin's Press. His website is www.ronfrancel.com, R-O-N-F-R-A-N-S-C-E-L-L.com. All right, Ron, uh, can you take us back to 1973 and uh, give us an idea what your book is about? Well, uh, in 1973, I was 16 years old. Uh, this, uh, we, the beginning of this book takes us back to the, the late September in 1973, um, as you described to your listeners earlier, uh, Amy and Becky had uh, been sent to the grocery store by their mother to pick up a few items. Uh, they they happened to get out of their vehicle just as as a couple of thugs are driving up. Now these guys are career criminals. They're they're uh, you know in and out of prison. Both of them at that point they were 26 and 29 years old. But they'd both spent more than half their lives in prison uh, at that time. They, but but never for rape, never for murder. Uh, just they were they were opportunistic criminals. Unfortunately, this presented them an opportunity. They saw the two girls get out of the car. Becky was a tall, dark-haired beauty. 
Uh, her little sister is 11 years old. She's tagging along. They decide that the best way they can meet this pretty girl is to flatten her tire and then offer help. And that's exactly what they did. And that's how they got the two girls into their car. And that's how a night of, of terror began for these girls. Uh, through the next several hours, they they beat and tortured the girls. They told them wild stories. They, they just scared the hell out of them. And in time, they ended up at a, a very high bridge over a very deep canyon out in the middle of nowhere. Now we're talking about Wyoming here. <laughs> this is, you know, this is a this is a terribly desolate place. Mm-hmm. I love it to death. It's it's my heartland, but it's it's uh, many many miles between people, and the ruggedness of the terrain is frightening. At this bridge, uh, little Amy uh, is taken from the car and just literally tossed over the edge. Falls 12 stories to her death. Uh, Then these two guys turn to what their real interest was. They both rape Becky, uh, and then they take her to to the edge of the bridge and, and wrestle her over the side. But what happens is she hits the side of the canyon wall on her way down. Uh, this this crash breaks her pelvis in five places, but it also breaks her fall, bounces her out into deeper water, and she survives. Uh, she spends that night at the bottom of that canyon naked, uh, cold. It's about 30 degrees at that time. Uh, it's It's dark so dark they're, they're the darkest night from what the title comes from there is no moon and down in that canyon there's barely enough light uh from the stars to see your hand in front of your face i know that because i spent the 30th anniversary of that crime under the bridge at the very spot where becky spent that long night um she drags herself up at daylight literally inch by inch up that canyon wall, dragging her deadened legs behind her, and is found by um, passing fishermen. Uh, She is taken to the hospital, and within the next hour is able to identify the two guys who abducted her and her sister. Uh, They are arrested fairly quickly. Uh, One of them essentially confesses to the the whole mess. The other never says a word. Uh, They are ultimately tried and convicted and sentenced to die, but this is 1974 now, and America is still in in the throes of its uh, ambivalence about Mm -hmm. the death penalty. Uh, Wyoming has rewritten its law to try to please the Supreme Court, which had just allowed the death penalty to be constitutional again, but they did it wrong. And so after three years on death row, these two guys were commuted to life in prison. Um, this, this frightened Becky to her core. She, she assumed that, that a life in prison with the possibility of parole, that one or both would soon get out and they would come looking for her. Uh, she began to uh, obsess about this. She began to have 
issues with drugs and alcohol. Her relationships with men were understandably uh, decrepit. Yeah. Uh, she, her life was a series of jobs that didn't pay very well, uh, and she she basically was in a downward spiral. And at the heart of this spiral was her fear about these two guys in prison. She did marry once, but it didn't last very long, and she did have a child from that marriage. Uh, but it, it, as I say, it broke up, and she um, she continued in this life only now as a single mother with a little child that that you know didn't know what was going on. Uh, Nineteen years after the crime. Becky'd had enough. She went back to the bridge, and she jumped. And this time she died. So that's the sweep of the story. Um, the Darkest Night talks, ta- tells that story, but it also talks about how it affected those of us who were the, the closest ki- children to to Becky and Amy. We, I grew up, you know, next door to them. Uh, we played in those sandlot together. Uh, probably my first crush was on Becky. Uh, but uh, it, was, uh, it was a shocking crime that literally changed the fabric of a community that never saw this coming. What was your inspiration for writing the book? You know, it's interesting that you ask that because you, one one might think, well, it's just an interesting story. But as I said earlier, I sort of didn't go around obsessing about it. Yeah. It made me angry when I thought about it. It, it did a lot of things, but uh, I, I, I soon moved on to whatever was at hand. Shortly after uh, 9-11, I was working for the Denver Post at that time, and I was sent to the Middle East to... Uh, uh, ask questions about uh, the relationship between the Middle East and the United States. Now, we're talking the, the first few weeks after 9-11, so these, everybody was asking these questions. Well, what did we do? Why us? Yeah. And, I, and, and in many ways, I don't think we've answered those questions. But uh, it, all, during all my time there, uh, I was... I guess I was living the, the mystery. I was living out that mystery. I, I, I wasn't afraid, per se, but I was always on guard. And when you're on guard, all of your senses are alive, and everything, the food tastes richer, the yeah. sounds are, are more melodic, uh, it, it, the colors are brighter. It was on the way home. And uh, I am notorious for not being able to sleep on airplanes. And uh, I picked up a European news magazine, and for the very first time, I saw a picture uh, of of people falling from the World Trade Center on 9/11. I'd never seen these photos. I don't I don't know if it was because I left the country so quickly after the uh, attacks, or or whether they really hadn't come out in the United States. But in one of the photos, I saw a, a, a two people holding hands as they plummeted from, from somewhere up, up there in the top of the World Trade Center. And I, I, I began to, to think about Becky and Amy. 
And of course, they they didn't hold hands on their on their fall from that bridge, but but I, but in a way they did. And I suddenly began to do what I'd never done before. I, I began to see their experience in 1973 as being a mirror of of our experience in 2001. That that one night of terror can change everything. You don't you don't see it coming. You you can't fathom it. You can't imagine it. And then it happens. And it changes who you are. It changes what you do. And that's where it came from. I don't spend a lot of time on that in the book. I make reference to it. But uh, in, in some ways, I got a preview of what we as a country have been feeling for the last you know, six, six and a half years. Um, back when I was 16 years old. One hell of a preview. Well, it, it really was. Yeah. And, and it was on a, on a scale that was um, so small that this crime, you know, I, I, one of the difficulties we had in, in getting the book published uh, was that uh, it, it, it never made the headlines. It, it, it happened in a, a place that most New Yorkers think uh, they still have Indians and horse-drawn buggies. Uh, and it happened, you know, 30 years before. So that was one of the difficulties of it. Um, Ron, stand by. You and I have to take sure. our news break at the bottom of the hour. Ron Francel is our special guest. www.ronfrancel.com. R-O-N-F-R-A-N-S-C-E-L-L.com. What a story. We'll be back after the news, Exxon Nation, as we continue live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon TV, and on shortwave from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Still to come on tonight's show, Linda Drake will be joining me in the final hour. She is an author. She is a psychic. And we're going to be talking about everything from psychic experiences to near-death experiences. This is the Exxon on the Talkstar Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. 
Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. My name is Michael Telstar, Canada's leading mentalist from Toronto, Ontario. Hi, my name is Bonza, and you're listening to my dad, Ron McConnell, on the XM. This is Psychic Dorothy from St. Catharines, and you're listening to Rob McConnell. Hello, my name is Holly Reeves, an astrologer from astro for You, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Welcome to The X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Everyone, our special guest this hour is Ron Francel. He is the author of *The Darkest Night*. His website is www.ronfrancel.com. That's R-O-N-F-R-A-N-S-C-E-L-L. And *The Darkest Night* is published by St. Martin's Press. Ron uh, was once quoted as saying that. The worst punishment that ever happened in his little town was if you were held back a grade. And this is a quote, Ron Kennedy and Jerry Jenkins took many things from me, my friends, my sense of security, a certain amount of childhood innocence. And um, he says, I have a nightlight in every room of my house and will go outside at night. Even as an adult, night makes her nervous. And this is about... Um, his book. What did these crimes do to that peaceful little town of Casper where you grew up? Here was a place, as I, as I said earlier, that, that couldn't imagine this mm-hmm. crime. And, and had anyone imagined it and said uh, this could happen, the, the, the people would have dismissed it. Uh, it, 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 it was one of those places that uh, you hear described so often that nobody locks their doors and, mm-hmm. um, or their cars. You know, it, it's sure. it was like that. Although I was a kid, you know, I, I didn't think about locking doors anyway. What I thought about was being able to ride my bike uh, down the street and and how it comforted me to be able to hear people 
in their homes or see through their windows. And I don't mean peeping. Yeah. I mean just riding down the, the street. The people were living their lives, and we they, they didn't they didn't uh, close themselves off from the world. Uh, and I think that once this crime happened, that all changed. Uh, in, in, in traveling around with this book, I've had a lot of people from that town and from that period present themselves and say, I just remember I was eight years old and my parents never let me ride my bike after dark again. Or they never let me go to the store by myself again. Uh, suddenly we lived in a place that was a lot like the places we now live in. And, and in, in a, a, again, a strange forecast of what was going to come 30 years later, um, I, everything was going to change. And, and we were going to close ourselves off from the world. We were going to build little fortresses around ourselves uh, so that the next time uh, we wouldn't be vulnerable. But the fact is, you know, evil is like bad air. It mm -hmm. exists, and it will always exist, and it will get through the cracks. Whatever happened to the two, uh, the two suspects or the two uh, offenders? Um, why? One of them died, uh, a guy named Jerry Jenkins, the, one of the two, he died in prison in 1998 of a heart attack. Uh, the night he died, uh, there was a round of applause among mm -hmm. the guards. He wasn't well-liked. Uh, the other still lives and uh, is, is still serving his life sentence at the penitentiary of Wyoming. And uh, he... Of course, I, I spent time with him. I interviewed him for 14 hours uh, for this book. And uh, I think it was the most difficult thing I've ever done as a writer. Uh, in, in almost every other aspect of the research, I was protected by that um, emotional distance that, mm -hmm. that a newspaper man learns, you know. Uh, but the interviews with Ron Kennedy, the second killer, and really the gas in the engine of this crime, um, was probably the biggest challenge of my love of journalism that I've, I've ever faced. Ron, did he show any remorse? Did he talk about um, anything that would show you as a journalist that there might be somewhere in his body a, a spark of decency left? None whatsoever. None whatsoever. In fact, um, he had never spoken about this crime, even to his own lawyer. And I'm sure he's shared things with cellmates sure. along the years, but, but he had never spoken. He'd never given an interview. He had never spoken to his lawyer. He never made a statement of any kind. Um, and so uh, I, I, before I interviewed him, I, I didn't necessarily expect him to... Uh, you know, come clean about the whole thing, but I was surprised. Uh, even even after years of covering police matters and and trials, I was surprised at how uh, completely distracted from this whole case he was. He just simply 
uh, would say, I was there, but I, I would have helped them if I could, but I couldn't. I was drugged. I was drunk. I was, uh, I was under the thumb of the other guy who happens to be conveniently dead. Um, he had no remorse. He made up what I think were even more painful stories than the real ones that, that I was telling. Uh, he, uh, he is a classic sociopath. He, he, um, he, if he, I engaged a, a, a forensic psychiatrist to act as a kind of, uh, uh, to, to, well, to check me, you know, to make sure that I wasn't going to stray off into pop psychology. Mm-hmm. And this guy said, you know, if there were 33 check marks that you could put beside the symptoms and, and the traits of a sociopath, this guy hit on 32 of them. Wow. Uh, he, he is just a classic sociopath, and he played me through the whole interview. He denied anything, as I say, made up even further stories, which, which were hair-raising. In, in, and in the book reflects this, he even gave me a 500-page manuscript that he'd written in prison that purports to be his autobiography. It is uh, a mixture of penthouse forum and, uh, you know, a hundred popular movies. Uh, loosely built around things that, that may or may not have happened in his life. But um, it, it, it was a fascinating glimpse into the mind of a sociopath. Uh, and, and we were getting it in volumes. There just wasn't any truth to it. And uh, so I, I, it, in some ways it was a wasted 14 hours, but, but uh, I think now looking back on that time I spent with him, it, it wasn't wasted at all. I've, I came away with a new perspective on, on justice, on criminality, on, on mercy. Uh, but most of all, uh, you know, he was... He was my mirror. He, you know, I wanted, I interviewed him because I wanted to know something about me. You know, what did I, you learn? I wanted to know if my deep-set feelings about this guy, or, or really what he represented, not him, I didn't know him, mm-hmm. but I knew what he represented. I wanted to know if my feelings were stronger than my passion to be a conscientious journalist. Um, if I couldn't step back from my feelings about him or about his deeds and let him tell his story in his voice, then, frankly, I, I wouldn't be the newspaper man that I thought I was. And, and in the end, I guess that would mean that he robbed me of that, too. So uh, I, I think it was worth it. Tell me, um, why didn't this story get national media exposure? I think part of it is the remoteness of the place. I think part of it is a certain uh, geocentrism that we have in this country. I live now in Texas. I'm not a Texan. I just live here. But I, I would be rich if someone would just give me a nickel for every time someone crinkled their nose 
at the mention of living in Texas. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a certain geographic uh, uh, prejudice that we have, and I think that when it comes to Wyoming uh, or or a lot of the interior West, uh, it's flyover country, and we don't we don't consider that that life proceeds and unfolds and ends uh, there just as it does in New York City or L.A. or Seattle or anywhere else. Ron, I if the, think that was part of it. Ron, if this crime had been committed in the year 2008, do you think that the media would have run with it? compared? Oh, sure. to, yeah. I mean, you look at the biggest story today, the, the, or at least the biggest non-story of the day, Amanda Ray knocks a woman over in a boat and mm-hmm. she dies. Yeah. It is border to border. I mean, you know, I'm sure it's in <laughs> from Canada to Mexico. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think the the uh, the new media world it would not have have disappeared uh, or actually never arrived on the scene the way it did. Uh, it, the story that got the press and and which is which is interesting. It says something about the media today, or at least within the last 20 years, um, was when Becky returned to that bridge 19 years after the crime. It's 1992, um, and she commits suicide by jumping off the bridge at the same spot where where she'd been thrown and where her little sister had been thrown 19 years before. That did get attention. Uh, there was talk of a movie. There was uh, there, there were there were stories that went out over the wire services and and uh, were published far and wide. Mm-hmm. The original story did not. I hate to say it, but in some ways it was kind of a garden variety crime, except for the bridge. I think that had. Uh, had these two girls been taken back to a trailer someplace and raped and murdered and then dumped in a ditch, this this story would still have affected Casper, Casper, Wyoming, but probably not to the extent it has. That bridge, that canyon, that night, uh, they all play a role in this. They all play a role in the, in, in the memory of this. Uh, just as you know, any setting is going to enhance a story. This setting, you know, was was part of why this story lives on. Did um, did Amy leave, or let's see, which one jumped, uh, Becky or Amy? Becky. Did Becky leave a suicide note? She didn't. Um, and and people would like to believe that she went out that night. She took she she went out that night with her then boyfriend with whom she was having a a, a can't let go relationship. She wanted to let him go, but she, she she just couldn't. There was some insecurity that kept her hanging on and uh, she took with her her year and a half old little girl. Um they sat on that bridge at sunset, and and she pointed to the places that were important to the story, the rock where she hit, the the little the little 
uh, crevice where she spent that night and then the wash where she dragged her body up out of the canyon. Uh, and it, as, she, as she told him, she got more and more agitated until finally the baby was also getting agitated. The boyfriend said, let me take, let me take the little girl back to the car. You just compose yourself and let's get out of here. Uh, when he turned around at the car, she, he heard a splash. He turned around. She wasn't there. Um, so no suicide note. She'd bought a beautiful dress that afternoon. Possibility that, that she didn't jump, that she just slipped and fell, uh, hangs out there. Ron, Me stand by. You and I have to take our commercial break. Sure. Ron Francel, uh, what a guy. Ron, thanks very much for joining us and uh, sharing this story with us here on the Exxon. www.ronfrancel.com. Ron and I return on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon TV, and on Shortwave. Don't go away. We'll be back. Your blood sugar level is a serious matter. Get some help from Enhancelin, the natural dietary supplement that promotes balanced blood sugar levels. Here's what people are saying about Enhancelin. Enhancelin does balance out my blood sugars, so I don't go through any highs or lows. It has given me a lot of energy. I just feel great. Take one capsule before meals. It's that easy. Enhancelin reduces the absorption of sugar through the intestines. It's the natural way to reduce the amount of sugar getting into your body. I think anybody who's going through diabetes too should really take the Enhancelin. It works. It actually works. With the Enhancelin, I can smile again. For help managing your blood sugar, call now to order Enhancelin. 1-800-480-5242. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. So call 1-800-480-5242. Call today and receive a free 30-day supply with your order. Call 1-800-480-5242. That's 1-800-480-5242. Whether it's the arrival of Planet X in 2012, the Earth's crazy weather cycles, our deadly global warming, Armageddon, UFOs, ETs, terrorism, the critical mass 2008 presidential elections, Dr. Jason Rand talks the talk and walks the walk. Being a twice-nominated Grammy record producer, recording artist, publisher, lecturer, UFO ET researcher and investigator, and best-selling author of The Return of Planet X, Mankind's Ongoing Legacy with a Brown Dwarf Star, Dr. Jason Rand truly does walk the walk and talk the talk. For more information on Dr. Jason Rand or to order The Return of Planet X, visit his website at www.returnofplanet-x.com or call 901-336-9660. And where will you be in the year 2012? This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Thank you, Sergeant Central. Thank you, Sergeant 
Hi, I'm Larry Lawson, host of Paranormal Stakeout. With over 36 years in law enforcement, I have learned a few things. The most important is the proper gathering and preservation of evidence is vital to putting the bad guy behind bars. It's no different in the world of paranormal investigation, whether it's the search for the afterlife, cryptozoology, UFOs, and extraterrestrials. How we gather the evidence, preserve that evidence, and present it to a jury of our peers will make the ultimate difference in proving the existence of worlds and entities that are beyond our imagination. Join me, Larry Lawson, every week on Paranormal Stakeout when, along with my guests, we'll take a journey to prove with indisputable evidence what man has struggled to believe for centuries. Go to xzbn.net for the broadcast schedule and check me out at paranormalstakeout.com. healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. Francel is our special guest this hour. He's the author of The Darkest Night. It's published by St. Martin's Press. And first of all, Ron, thanks very much for joining us tonight. It's uh, been a great pleasure talking to you and um, continued success with your books. Oh, well, thank you very much. I, I don't have any other choices. <laughs> I, I'm a writer. I'm a storyteller. And that this very personal story mm-hmm. came along to be told... Uh, you know, I I'm grateful for that. Uh, I I don't know that I'll ever write another true crime. I don't know that I'll ever write another memoir. But uh, in this particular one, I thought there was a story for all of us. I can only imagine what it was like sitting in front of of the gentleman in prison who had committed these heinous crimes. Knowing that he took the lives of the little girls that I grew up with. That's right. But like I said, uh, I think it was more important to me to make sure that I gave him his voice. There, 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 there were feelings. I mean, I, I'm a human first. Sure. 
but uh, I, I had feelings about that. But I was there to hear what he had to say, and and with the intention of passing it along. And and I think it's in the book. Uh, I made a promise to him, and it was far more important to me to keep the promise to uh, to to let him speak, to let him tell his story. That, that he chose to tell the story he told mm-hmm. is not my responsibility. Uh, and and I and I couldn't change that. I wouldn't change that. But given the opportunity, that he chose the story, uh, I fulfilled my promise to tell the story. But here's a confession: I I didn't hate this guy. I I hated what he represented, mm-hmm. and I still do. Um, but when all was said and done, I, I feel sorry for him. Uh, he, he turned out to be a rather pathetic figure behind this uh, dark curtain of a story that had, you know, taken on mythic proportions in my hometown. And he he was not as big as the story. He was not as frightening as the mythology. And uh, he was pathetic. He was a pathetic little person. And... Uh, I, I just didn't hate him. Yeah, I but you couldn't. were able to see him for what he really was. Yeah, exactly. He was, he, he was the opportunistic player. <laughs> he he was a manipulator. He was throughout his history the guy that was most likely to be the the snitch, or the the uh, you know the sucker puncher. Uh, or the uh, you know the sniper. He's not the kind of guy who's going to stand up to you face to face, and 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 deal whatever blows he he uh, deems you worthy of. He doesn't do that. And, uh, Ron, we've run out of time uh, once wow. again. Thank you very much for joining us, and um, look forward to talking to you the next time you come up with another book. All right. Well, I'll let you know when we do. Please do, and give my best to the people at St. Martin's Press for their help in making this interview possible. I'll certainly do it, Rob. Thank you. This has been a delight. It's been a delight for me, too, sir. Thank you. Ron Francell, F-R-A-N-S-C-E-L-L. His website is www.ronfrancell.com. The name of the book is The Darkest Night. Linda Drake joins me on the other side of the news as the Exxon continues right here on the Talk Star Radio Network.